I'm Paul Musto, and I welcome you to our podcast series focused on startup companies, a podcast series where we talk to startup entrepreneurs and leaders in the industry to learn how they turn great ideas into successful, profitable companies. In this episode, we are speaking to two of the leaders at Mars, one of the largest North American incubators based in Toronto, Canada, providing support and services for over 1,200 startup companies focused in four key industry segments, health, clean tech, fintech or financial, and enterprise. They provide Canadian science and tech companies with tailored resources at every stage of their growth from startup all the way through scale-up. My guests today are Ash Momo and Jessica Brionis. Ash is the chief technical advisor at Mars, where he is responsible for advising ventures in emerging technology areas such as artificial intelligence, autonomous vehicles, cybersecurity, blockchain, and advanced networking. He is an experienced entrepreneur with deep technical and business expertise in the software industry. He greatly enjoys designing and building technology-based products. And before joining Mars, Ash worked at a series of tech startups in founder and CTO roles. And prior to entering the startup space, he spent 10 years at Microsoft in a variety of product groups, including leadership positions and web search and developer platforms. Ash also served as technology advisor to technology executive staff. With that, Ash, uh, let me uh, start by uh, asking you a few questions, if you don't mind. First of all, thank you for being here today. You know, one of the things I'm not sure that our listeners are completely 100% up to date or aware of is the concept of incubators and specifically Mars. Is there a chance you could provide us some background on Mars and uh, the overall mission that you have there? Yeah, for sure. You touched on it a little in your intro there. It, it is an innovation hub. It's the way we talk about Mars. So it has elements of uh, accelerator or incubator, but Mars uh, is a lot more than that. It does a lot of different things. And the idea behind it is let's stimulate creative collisions between groups like entrepreneurs, investors, academia, large corporates in ways that they wouldn't normally interact. So Mars is, it's a nonprofit. It's a huge building, a million and a half square feet of research labs and technology offices. It is in downtown Toronto. We serve many, many high growth venture companies or startups. The number usually is somewhere between 1,200 and 1,400. And when I say startup, I, I mean companies all the way from pretty early stage, you know, just got a product in market, finding your way towards product market fit all the way up to many tens of millions of dollars a year in revenues. We also have uh, quite a number of great corporate and government partners, over 50, and that spans many different sectors, things like finance or energy, manufacturing. In the building itself, over 150 tenant organizations. So you've got some very recognizable names in there like Facebook and PayPal, Vector Institute, which is one of Canada's premier AI research institutes, but most of our clients, from an advisor standpoint, are, are not tenants in the building. So Mars reaches far beyond the building. So yeah, we do a lot of different things, uh, but primarily it's about the startups. That's the North Star, you know, advising them, helping them with strategy. In some cases, investing in them. Mars does have three seed funds, Stand-Up Ventures, which focuses exclusively on women-led ventures, Mars IAF, which is the biggest seed fund in Ontario, and uh, the Mars Catalyst Fund, which focuses on impact investing. Lots of different things. <laughs> That's what Mars is about. 
Yeah, there's a lot there and a lot of companies that you provide services for. So when you're working with a startup company, you know, what types of day-to-day services do you provide for them on a one-on-one basis? It ranges depending on the stage of the company and the sector they're in. Early stage companies are largely self-serving from a, a huge knowledge base of information we put together over the years and involved in a lot of things like workshops, technology talks, courses, kind of building up their knowledge from that curriculum. As companies mature, they kind of unlock access to services that are a little higher touch. So for example, we have a number of advisors on staff and also volunteer advisors who've worked in startups or worked with startups and can advise on business strategy or talents, like how do you go about hiring great people and retaining them, or capital, you know, people who've worked in, let's say, venture capital firms. We offer market intelligence services to companies that want to, you know, do research on the space they're in. And then uh, we have some specialized programs that are specifically around certain technologies or industry intersections. So, for example, we just launched one around supply chain and AI. We have another one around 5G. So Mars hosts one of the three pre-commercial 5G wireless test beds in Ontario. And we have, of course, the the AVEN program around autonomous and connected vehicles and intelligent transportation systems. It uh, depends on the company, but we try and, and fit companies in with the resources that fit them best. Excellent. So, Ash, you mentioned it briefly a couple times, but uh, if you could, please take us through the areas of focus that Mars has from a technology perspective and some of the industry dynamics that are going on there that make those industries particularly interesting and dynamic from a startup perspective. Sure. Yeah. So the origin of Mars is really around health and health sciences. Mars is in a part of Toronto we call Hospital Row. It's right next to a whole cluster of world-class hospitals. And so the early days at Mars were focused on health-related startup companies. That continues today. Health is a a huge area of R&D in Toronto, and it's sort of the center for health research in Canada, right, right next to the University of Toronto as well. So a lot going on around medicine. And you can see that you know, with, with COVID-19, the, the building's still very busy. Uh, we have clients in the building that are actually working on COVID response. But Mars broadened as well over the years. So we went into clean tech, enterprise software, financial technology, and more recently, uh, we have a number of companies working in advanced manufacturing and uh, mobility and transportation. So in all of those areas, You've got a cluster of startup companies. You have a cluster of larger corporate or government entities that are prospective buyers of the tech. You have tool and platform companies that um, kind of provide the firepower to, to build products. And you've got staff at places like Mars or investors who are focused on those clusters. Toronto itself has been really booming for a long time now, and the startup community is, is really thriving as well. So it's been a, a good time for Mars to come into existence. It's been around for 15 years and uh, you know things are dramatically different now today than they were uh, 15 years ago. Uh, yes, that, that leads us into the next question. I think you know in the industry that my background is in, we used to view startups as kind of uh, they've always pushed the envelope in terms of technology. 
But things have definitely changed. I mean, uh, you know, where we found companies, you know, startup companies working on maybe what we would perceive as, you know, simpler tech or things like that. It's just that's not the case anymore. We, we're coming across a lot of startup companies that are working on very advanced sophisticated technology. And I'm sure that's really changed the way that facilities like Mars works with startups. So maybe you could just kind of give us some insight from your perspective, since you've been involved in this world for so long. What do you see? How do you see that startup world changing? And how do you see Mars kind of adapting to work with startups in a different way? Yeah, it's it's a great question. So I moved back to Toronto from Seattle in 2005, and I distinctly remember back then working for a startup was not cool. If you told people that's what you did, most people would kind of go, what? Like, what's a startup? They just didn't have that culture here in Toronto, not at all like uh, West Coast in the States. So that was back then, but things have changed a great deal. There have been many hundreds of companies that are startups, you know, starting, growing, helping each other, much more funding available, many investors, a lot more shared knowledge between entrepreneurs. Although I do have to say, I think we're still we're kind of lacking, relatively speaking, in terms of entrepreneurs who have scaled truly huge companies. Uh, you know, we, we do have a few like Shopify, but um, it's not the same as in the Valley. But all that said, the appetite for um, for risk is growing here, and the startup culture is evolving too. So now, if you tell people you work for a startup, it is cool. <laughs> people are interested; they want to know. And you know, as far as how Mars plays into that, because there's been this maturation over the years, Mars does different things now than it used to do. So maybe you know, 15 years ago, a lot of time was spent on kind of startup 101, like what does it mean to have a business model? What does it mean to get investment? We still do some of that, but really we're focusing more now on companies that are a little later stage, more sophisticated, they're dealing with um, scaling, building the organization, bringing in not just seed, but, you know, series A, series B, C, companies that are um, scaling internationally too. So Mars is building up strengths that align with companies as they scale towards $100 million. That's something that 15 years ago was uh, only a distant dream the core is the same, though. We, we convene, we build relationships, we're trying to build a, an ecosystem around the startups. Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I mean, we come across so many startups nowadays that are designing full systems, right? And they used to design parts of systems. And then we're also coming across startups now, even in their earlier stages, are being looked at by larger, maybe in the, we're going to be talking about automotive here in a bit, but they're being viewed by OEMs and tier ones and tier twos in that whole ecosystem. Uh, and it's quite impressive, right? Because they're really the, the they're kind of on the leading edge of innovation. Can you give us an example uh, of a company that you've worked with at Mars that have has gone through that evolution and now is, is, is on their path to uh, becoming a full commercially successful company? Yeah, for sure. There are many. One that comes to mind is Ecopia AI. Ecopia is a company that they style themselves as an artificial intelligence company that specializes in geospatial big data. So they look at maps, they build maps, they extract information from them and, and enhance maps to make them very rich and available for other applications. I know a bit about them because we've worked with them a little as clients specifically around the, the automotive program and mobility and transportation. But um, Ecopia has been getting advice from Mars from day one. You know, they, they relocated from Waterloo to Toronto. They've been a tenant in the Mars building. 
Mars has helped them with a ton of things. Uh, everything from government funding to market analysis, a lot of PR help, a lot of connecting to potential buyers. We've helped them on organization design, even navigating COVID. <laughs> we spent a lot of time this year trying to help companies with that. So um, they're doing incredibly well. They're on uh, Deloitte Technologies Fast 50 list, which is like the, the 50 fastest growing tech companies in Canada. They're number five on that list. They're doing uh, great work, and we continue to work with them. They're fun to work with. Excellent. I, I appreciate that very much. Uh, it's always very interesting to hear about the evolution of a company from a startup to kind of that big things to make it into a larger commercial entity. So I appreciate that. Uh, I think we're going to jump to uh, Jessica, Senior Manager of Connected and Autonomous Vehicles. Jessica manages and oversees deliverables for Autonomous Vehicle Innovation Network's Toronto Regional Technology Development Site. Located at Mars, they have a focus on artificial intelligence and machine learning as they apply to connected and autonomous vehicles. Jessica connects Mars teams, Mars-supported companies, and partners to various locations and stakeholders across Ontario. Prior to joining Mars, Jessica worked at the Ontario Centers of Excellence as Portfolio Manager for Automotive and Mobility. She also worked for Japanese Automotive OEM in Monterey, Mexico. Jessica holds a Bachelor Degree in Manufacturing Engineering with specialization in total quality management, as well as a master's degree in entrepreneurship and innovation. In 2014, Jessica was selected for the prestigious Action Canada Fellowship Program, while also being recognized as one of the top 10 most successful Mexicans in Canada by Latinas Magazine. Jessica, welcome to the discussion. And, you know, I think we're going to shift gears and talk a little bit about the Autonomous Vehicle Program at Mars. Uh, do you want to give us a quick overview of, of the program? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Paul, for having me. It is a pleasure to be here and share some of the insights that uh, we are seeing at the Autonomous Vehicle Network. So AVAN stands for Autonomous Vehicle Innovation Network. It's a $85 million program designed with the idea of reinforcing Ontario's position as a North American leader. And this is in the mobility space, and we're starting with transportation and infrastructure systems. AVAN involves six different regional technology development sites, or RTDSs, across Ontario and a demonstration zone, each one with a unique focus area. Mars hosts the Toronto Regional Site, and as you mentioned before, Paul, it has focused on artificial intelligence and machine learning. And the work that we do here is we support entrepreneurs. We work with startups, uh, small and medium enterprises in different sectors like driverless cars, vehicle cybersecurity, real-time fleet routing, among many other different sectors. And what we do is providing advisory hours, access to co-working space, market intelligence. We have a data directory that they can use to consult different data sources. And the most exciting part about this program is uh, the organizations that we partner with. So we partner with organizations like Siemens interested in the auto tech or mobility space. And what these partners do is extend our offerings to these enterprises. So contributions such as hardware, software, data, uh, and expertise are critical to the program success and to the success of the startups that we work with. 
That's fantastic. You know, this this field is particularly fascinating to me. I've been doing a lot of research here and some work. Uh, again, my background is in electronics. Uh, certainly from an electronics perspective, it's been a fascinating industry to see how it has shaped, you know, the automobile industry, you know, in, in general. And we know that autonomous technology innovation is, is on a rapid rise. Can you give us some insight as to how Mars sees autonomous technology coming to uh, the market and, you know, kind of what you think is on the horizon in the short term and long term? Yeah, absolutely. But first, I need to ask you a question. <laughs> I would like to know, because this is a common question, and I'm always curious to see what people picture. What do you picture when you hear the words autonomous vehicles? Yeah, so that's a great question, right? So at first, I think of just being able to sit in the car and let go of the steering wheel and, uh, you know, have it take me where I, I've navigated it to go or desire to go. But then I see uh, research, a lot of research going into purely autonomous moving transportation, I guess, is you wouldn't even call it autonomous vehicles, you'd, you'd call it autonomous transportation. I, in fact, one of the interesting projects that I've been working on uh, recently is with a startup venture that is focused on autonomous for disabled, for disabled transportation, right? So everything from helping the, the disabled passenger into the vehicle to navigation to taking that person to where they want to be and, you know, having them leave the vehicle itself. So it seems like there's everything in between uh, and obviously just general mass transportation as well as part of that. So there's a big range, right? For sure. And I guess... Because if you work in the sector, you probably have a more realistic view uh, just by giving us this example of what an autonomous vehicle is supposed to be. Every time that I mention that, whenever I mention that I work in the autonomous vehicle space, I get this, like everyone gets excited about space. It's like I get the, uh, the, the cool factor. It's like, it's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> but really, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but really what we should expect, it's based on, on application, it's based on use cases. What we have right now and what we should expect is really a different version of what an autonomous vehicle is. So we are looking at, at something that is geofence. So basically there, there is a virtual geographic boundary, either defined by GPS or RFID. We're also looking at something that is regional and uh, we are looking at something that is uh, lower speed. <laughs> so we have a, a grandma vehicle that it's in, that is in test, lots of pilots going on right now. Uh, not so cool at the moment, but we're getting there. And in terms of uh, some of the uptake that we are seeing, so there are a couple of use cases. The trend is going from connected vehicles moving to full autonomy. So some of mm -hmm. the examples that we are observing, you mentioned something uh, around mobility. So we have ride hailing here in Ontario, for example, in, in Toronto, inside Mars. We have uh, Uber ATG's head working on research and development around robot taxis. Companies like Argo AI are also very involved in uh, mobility as service. One of our clients, Pantonium, it's uh, developing a, a new platform. It's called Everon. So what they are doing is uh, they are enabling transit agencies to provide on-demand transit services. They are using existing infrastructure, which is important, reducing the need for manual dispatch. So they are doing that by optimizing an algorithm. So super, super interesting application, again, uh, under the ride-hailing approach, uh, mobility as a service. 
that's one of the applications that, that we think uh, will have a higher uptake. The other one is last mile. This actually became relevant. It was already relevant, but it increased demand uh, for this use case as a result of COVID. So we have a company at Mars, we're working with Gatic. They specialize in short B2B deliveries, and they are currently working with Walmart on what it's called last mile delivery approach. Companies like Gatic AI are having huge pressure from commercial owners to complete L4. And this is based on savings. Savings being pretty much eliminating the driver. Currently, what companies are offering at the moment is level three, which is human driver assistance. So last mile is a second use case that uh, we are seeing. It's um, also growing and expediting. And last but not least, there is an overlooked sector. So the long haul trucking. In this case, trucking, it's, as you know, always looking for skilled drivers that can, they can drive for, for long hours And one of the biggest benefits for autonomous vehicles here, one of the biggest benefits benefits on driver assistance is that you are able to provide the driver with a safer vehicle. So the first commercial rollouts for this particular application expected in 2025, but we are already seeing some benefits again by adding some uh, human driver assistance. Yeah, so that kind of leads into my next question. I personally like driving cars. I enjoy it very much. And so I do wonder in the future where this is all going to end, right? And they talk about uh, level five autonomous, which is gets to, to driverless automobiles, right? Or driverless transportation in general. And so maybe for our audience, maybe not everybody understands the various levels, but specifically level five, what is that really, you know, since you're tied into the industry, what does that really mean? to our audience and and to us? And when do you think that would be, or if if ever, commercially viable? Yeah, so level five really means the vehicle is in full control. It's making decisions on behalf of the human. It's safe to operate in all conditions, in all environments. What we think here is that a commercial level, uh, the initial price of autonomous vehicles will likely be too high for the average consumer. Not considering computer hardware, a typical sensor stack alone which contains a radar, LiDAR, and cameras, at the moment can cost thousands of dollars. So we predict that the initial high costs of AVs are very, better suited for companies that can use the vehicles in scale operations. This means, for example, when upfront capital costs can be offset through savings in operation costs. So for example, uh, not paying a driver. One thing that I guess is important here to consider is, do we really need to make everything autonomous? <laughs> and is it just because of something has well, does it need to be autonomous? I will uh, say that two important questions that the sector needs to keep in mind is what does autonomy enable or what can it solve? And the second question is where can it operate? Not just because of a vehicle has will, it means that we need to make it autonomous. We need to consider aspects, like for example, what volume of goods of people can be moved? How mature is the application? Can we make useful use cases or best practices out of that? Is there really a need to replace the driver or do we need to add a new driver to it? And uh, how complex is the environment? So before we go ahead and decide to make everything autonomous, we first need to understand what is the problem that we're trying to solve. And so what do you think are the most significant hurdles that we have in front of us in order to achieve something like that? I mean, one of the things you mentioned was 
you know, not everybody's going to be able to afford it. So we're going to have everything from full driver legacy vehicles to a, to a you know, maybe level four or level five vehicles and everything in between on the road at the same time. I would imagine that's going to create some serious complexities for the infrastructure and for the vehicles themselves, right? What are your thoughts on that? So before I go ahead and speak about some of the challenges, I just want to mention that the reason why I'm working in this space is because of the opportunities. This is really based on the potential to reduce uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, collisions and, and fatalities that happen every year in Canada and across the globe. Obviously, there is an environmental aspect to it. So traffic congestion reduction, convenience, less stress, enabling mobility and mobility equity. Those are aspects that are very important and positive about the sector, but there are certainly some challenges. So if we go back to the use cases that I just explained, in the case of ride hailing, I will say that the biggest challenge is variability. So, and by variability, I mean, what you really have is a vehicle that need to understand how intersections, traffic, pedestrian, cyclists play in, in, in this environment. So, uh, what should an autonomous vehicles do when it sees a green light, but a police officer has a stop sign? <laughs> so lots of variability mm-hmm. here that, uh, that the vehicle need to understand. And then the other uh, use case that I explains are, explain are trucks. So in this case, it's all about decision making. So you need to be able to make decisions quickly and constantly to avoid huge collisions, for example, especially if the truck is carrying heavy loads. Other challenges, as you are aware, and they are relevant to other sectors as well, they tap into cybersecurity, privacy, safety. So cybersecurity, meaning that the vehicle, so you are in the vehicle, the vehicle is transporting you from point A to point B. We need to make sure that not only from this uh, specific trajectory or period of time you are safe, but really through the entire life cycle. What is happening here, we need to make sure is that the vehicle is unhackable from the moment that it leaves the manufacturing site all the way to the moment that the vehicle is out of service. So lots of work that needs to happen here between government and industry to, to provide guidance. Privacy is really important as well. Elon Musk, for example, is working with the uh, Autonomous Vehicle Pilot Project. While I'm very excited about the potential of this kind of technology, we cannot deny that uh, the vehicle has eight cameras on it. There is at the moment lack of clarity or understanding between industry and consumers about what kind of rules are applicable to collect and using personal information. So you're going to have a Tesla vehicle with eight cameras collecting information. What are we going to do with this information? How is this information collected and used? So once again, lots of uh, government and industry collaboration. And last but not least, safety. So one of the initiatives that I really like is uh, happening in the United States. It's called Automated Vehicle Transparency and Engagement for Safe Testing. <laughs> and I thought that AVAN was a long acronym, but these guys win. <laughs> <laughs> so here you have the, the U.S. Department of Transportation partnering with companies like Beep, Cruise, Fiat, Chrysler, Toyota, Uber, Waymo. And then the whole idea here is to create a platform where they can coordinate and share information in a standard way. So safety and testing transparency is super important, as well as privacy and cybersecurity. 
I guess that leads into that kind of that next question about the uh, the infrastructure that's required in order to be able to support this. And you, I think you touched on it nicely in the fact that uh, everything needs to start communicating with everything, right? We always hear the phrases connected world, connected everything. And this is probably an extreme example, right? You know, in order for an autonomous car to properly navigate itself, it's going to have to be communicating with everything around it. I mean, what do you see? How do you see that developing in the future? It's not just a matter of putting four wheels in an engine or an electric motor in a car and, and having it control itself, but it's everything else that around around it that also needs to communicate with it. Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned, so communication is key. And two aspects that we need to keep in mind is the technology that we have on board, but also the environment that is uh, in which these vehicles are deployed. At the end of the day, the goal here is safety. And then by keeping safety in mind, we're talking about, first of all, uh, real-time connectivity. Um, real-time connectivity being a critical one. What this means is, uh, so we have demand for a high-speed data, which is forecasted to continue to increase. So level five, again, being fully autonomous vehicle, fully operating all types of environment, it's expected to send 25 gigabytes of data to the cloud every hour. So that means that your car is going to become an information yeah. highway. And then these data streams are going to be sent in different directions. So the system will be generating a huge amount of data. And to ensure that the car is safe and the operations are safe, infrastructure needs to be put in place. So we are looking at High-speed nodes, uh, links, cables, all sorts of assemblies are required. The car is going to be making decisions in a split second, just the same way that a human brain operates. So uh, an autonomous car needs to be safe. It will require real-time data transmission. And uh, one of the biggest bets around for the success of autonomous vehicle is related to the 5G mobile communication. It's not only the hype, but really uh, the capacity of being able to provide higher data rates, so up to 10 gigabytes per second, with considerably lower latency than what we have right now, which is LTE. So we are really hoping that this technology would enable real-time and safer applications that will be able to cope with all, all these uh, huge data streams that we're expecting from, from the vehicle. Uh, so this is certainly a fascinating area, and I think that the technology that's developed here is certainly going to play out as uh, you know major advancements across the technology continuum, right? You know, like you mentioned the the amount of data that's moving from one device to another device, and the storage that's required here uh, is just incredible. So I appreciate very much those insights. Uh, very educational. I know that we're kind of closing in on some time here, so let's just shift gears a little bit, and I'll kind of put this out to you and Osh as well. Siemens and Mars have been working together now for uh, for quite a bit of the year, and I just wanted to get your perspective on how these kinds of partnerships help Mars. I know I can speak to how they help Siemens, but it would be uh, nice to hear from you guys as to how uh, this partnership with Siemens, how you see it helping your startup community. We have a few partnerships that are philosophically similar. It's, it's all about giving these startup companies a boost to, uh, at whatever stage they're at. And so that could come in the form of dev platforms and tools, could be hardware, could be software, could be knowledge, like architectural advice. We partner with uh, 
one of the leading legal firms that gives our clients legal advice. So it's all over the map, but really the, the core thing is helping startups to move ahead by giving them the resources they need to do their job well. And we're, we're hoping that it is valuable in return. I'm sure you're going to get an earful of product feedback from, uh, from our startup companies. <laughs> hoping you'll also get some great uh, success stories out of this. You know, of, of course, you are going to be growing healthier future customers, right? Like hopefully some of these companies become the next Shopify's or Ecopia yeah. AIs and, uh, and want to use more of your products. So um, we're, we're hoping it turns into a win-win. Uh, absolutely. And then you're absolutely spot on with, from a Siemens perspective, these guys are, uh, you know, pushing the envelope in terms of technology and innovation. They're very quick to give you any feedback, positive or negative, on your solutions, uh, which helps us uh, either way. Uh, so that's, that's really beneficial. I guess this kind of brings us to the end of the hour. Really, really appreciate uh, both your insights and the time that you spent today. Startups are a prime source, as I mentioned numerous times, for innovation. I know that Mars is committed, Siemens is committed to working with them to help them develop as companies as quickly as possible. Like I I mentioned earlier, uh, from a Siemens perspective, we see that startup companies today are very different than startup companies of 15, 20 years ago in terms of the level of technology, the complexity of the systems that they're designing. And that's why we're kind of reaching out to work with companies and incubators or facilities like Mars so we can kind of be in there working with your startup companies, with you folks to help get these companies situated with the software that they need to be successful and get their products to market. So I appreciate the partnership that we have with you. I appreciate your time today. I look forward to working together. For those of you on the, listening to the podcast, if you would like to look at our Siemens offerings, you can go to www.siemens.com slash software for startups, S-O-F-T-W-A-R-E-F-O-R. S-T-A-R-T-U-P-S, Software for Startups, where you can uh, get more information. Ash, would you like to give us the Mars website? Yeah, sure. MarsDD.com, MarsDiscoveryDistrict.com. And if you search on there, you'll find our our startup services. And uh, we're looking forward very soon to having uh, a page that talks all about the, the Mars and Siemens partnership. Looking forward to working with you. Thank you very much. Again, this is Paul Musta. Thank you for listening to our startup podcast. We hope to have you on our next episode. And remember, innovation has no boundaries. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We're excited to bring you this story and more as part of our ongoing startups podcast series. At Siemens, we believe your engineering startup idea will take your company to become the next industry leader. We understand the struggles of early-stage startups, and we are dedicated to providing software solutions to help entrepreneurs like you grow your business to your full potential using cost-effective and high-value added software. Let us remove the barriers on your startup journey by helping you transform your engineering startup ideas into real marketable products with the best software. To learn more, visit us at www.siemens.com slash software for startups.